Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Well, good evening. We are at week seven in the Spirit-Filled Life. So I am excited to get to, uh, to teach with you tonight and think through some of this. I just really, really have enjoyed teaching about the Spirit-Filled Life. This is the heart and soul of the Christian faith. It is everything. We have to realize that Christianity is not a set of uh, doctrines and rules and things to be believed as much as it is a life to be lived. Okay, And it, that life to be lived is the life of God being lived out in us. What a mystery. We learned that in week one, that, that the spirit-filled life is a mystical participation in the divine life of God. Peter, the apostle, said it this way, we, we become partakers of his divine nature. Love that thought. So, what a great, what a great mystery. Uh, it's mystical and it's mysterious all in one. But it is the calling. And, and I think therein lies the Therein lies what's missing in the presentation of Christianity to our generation. I've been thinking a lot about that. I've been thinking about people that just don't want to go to church, people that don't, you know, think they they uh, they need it. And uh, I've just been thinking about that. And I've been thinking about my own life. What does my life show this mystery? Does it show this divine participation? In such a measure that other people see me as different and want to know what's different about him. Because that is the alluring life of Christ. Okay, The alluring life of Christ in his believers, lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's power at work within us. Wow. So we're, we've, we've started talking uh, last couple of weeks about this five-fold Life that is guided by the Holy Spirit. And, and that was just my five that I came up with. Again, it's not some scholarly point, but uh, somebody else might have three, somebody else might have seven, I don't know. But, but I just felt these five that I wanted to bring to you. And those were, as we started, this, a spirit of revelation is one of the things that we're guided by in the Spirit-filled life, that God reveals himself to us in his word, in creation, through his spirit, through the teachings of the church. All of these are ways that God reveals himself to us. We, we talked a little bit about the fact that we don't just come up with novel ideas and novel teachings and wacky teachings because, oh, God revealed it to me, you know. No, when somebody says, well, God told me that, we better be checking it. Does it fit with scripture? Does it fit with the tradition of the faith, all of these things. There, there's checks and balances built into creation, built into life in God. Uh, and that's what keeps heretics away from just saying, oh yeah, God told me it's going to be this way. Well, 
Maybe they believe he did, but if God really did tell them that, it should be verifiable. Does that make sense? So that's the spirit of revelation. Also, we talked about the spirit of assurance. The last time we were together, we talked about the spirit of assurance, and spirit of assurance and the spirit of control were last week's uh, episode, episode six. The spirit of assurance, that wonderful, blessed doctrine that tells us we are his and he is ours. We are a child of God. We are forgiven. His spirit bears witness with our spirit when we are filled with the spirit that that his promises are true, that he does love us, that he does forgive us, and that we can be empowered for a life of love and service both to God and to humanity. We looked at uh, a spirit of control, this idea that, uh, that we are to walk in the spirit of God, not ahead of the spirit, not behind the spirit, but with the spirit walking through our life. So much so that, that it, it, it's, you can encapsulate that idea. It's encaptured in this thought. The Apostle Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Now, if, and he, say, he goes on to say, you know, and the life that I now live, I live by the Spirit of God. So the, the key, if, that's, if it's really Christ living in us, indwelling us, then we are walking with him. Now, we also talked about the fact that this is not a static relationship. Okay, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more tonight when I talk about this idea of continuing fellowship. That's going to introduce us into the spirit of continuing fellowship. The idea of continuing fellowship tells us that the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not static. It is ever increasing. Okay? So, when we teach in the Church of the Nazarene or in Wesleyan churches about the idea of being entirely sanctified, entire sanctification, when we teach about that as a doctrine, as a, as a, a doctrine to be held and believed in, and, and a life to be experienced, what we're saying is it's not just this one-time event. It is an event in which we are continually being filled and sanctified. And we saw that in the early weeks of this class this summer when we talked about the, like the cup of wine. Don't, be, don't just be filled with, uh, don't be drunk on wine, which you get drunk only by continuously filling your body with it but be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul's metaphor there in from the book of Ephesians. So as we move into this thought of the spirit of continuing fellowship, I want you to hear the Apostle Paul from the letter of 2 Corinthians, his benediction prayer. The last verse of the book of 2 Corinthians is a benediction, a prayer of blessing over them. And this is what he says in verse 14. It's chapter 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, here's something beautiful about that. It's a triune blessing, okay, because we're Trinitarian Christians. Okay, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, He is 
the dispensation of grace in our lives. God came into human flesh in his Son, Jesus Christ, eternally begotten of the Father, existent before all worlds began. There never was a time when Jesus Christ was not in existence, but in, a, in the moment in time, became man and dwelt among us. Okay, Born of, as, as the creed tells us, incarnate by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary and became man. In that beautiful moment, God brought his grace to our lives, to this world, like never before. And he is the source and the fount of all grace. There's a song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Jesus Christ is the fount of all grace. Okay? The fountain that flows. Now, grace, the grace, so that's why Paul begins the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, and the love of God. Usually in the New Testament, when you see the word just rendered God, the, the person of the Trinity being talked about is the Father. Okay, Father God. So, and the love of God. That word is agape, when you agapeo, when you look it up in the Greek. It is God's love. The love of God that is unlike any other love. It is the perfect love, the unconditional love. Okay, so with God's grace, Christ, and God's love, unconditional, then we have the third that completes it, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship. I want to concentrate and unpack that word fellowship tonight. I get goosebumps when I think about this. Okay, I love this thought. We, 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 we need to really get into the word here and understand the word fellowship. Because in today's vernacular, in our modern world, we think fellowship means having a potluck dinner. Okay? Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Fellowship. Oh, I just mean you spend, I mean just spend time together. You know, we sit down and talk to one another. Oh, that's true. But the word in its original context and meaning in the Greek, it is a word... Koinonia. This is the word that's used. Okay, koinonia. Now, uh, that's K-O, in the, in the English transliteration, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, koinonia. But it literally means to share in or to participate in. The emphasis is on the in, and the emphasis is on this, and it also literally means communion. Okay, now, communion, even from its English root and etymology, there's a fancy word for the study of words. I'm not too fancy, but I do kind of like that word, etymology. What's the etymology of something? So if you follow the English words of communion, you look back, it's a co-uniting or union, a communing togetherness, okay? Now, in this word, it is used every time it is used. Every time the word fellowship is used. Here's what's fascinating. Every time this scripture is translated, okay, pick any version of the Bible. It's one of those verses that no matter how modern your translation is or how old your translation is, it reads the same. 
the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, with one exception, the King James Version. The King James Version rendered it communion, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. I love that thought, because it, it just, it, either word is appropriate, okay? Either word is appropriate. But when you go back and look at other scriptures when Christ is talking and the apostles are talking and they talk about this idea of sharing in or fellowshipping, it is this word, koinonia, in the book of Acts, all through the book of Acts when it talks about the fellowship of the body. It's koinonia, okay? So I think we it bears our talking about that, that we think about this uh, thought of how the King James calls it communion. And when it's rendered, when uh, the apostles start to talk about what we think, and we hear the word communion, we automatically think of holy communion. We're gonna, in fact, we don't even call it holy communion. We just, we just render it communion. Oh, we're going to have communion in service today. Well, what we're really saying is we're going to have Holy Communion. And what we're really saying is we're going to have the Eucharist. Okay, The Eucharist is a Greek word. The Greek word Eucharistia means thanksgiving. Okay, it doesn't mean communion. Koinonia means communion. But why is Holy Communion called the, the, the sacrament that we receive, you know, the bread and the wine? Why is that called Eucharist? In the ancient times... In the ancient church, in the very first writings of the early Christians, we see this word, Eucharistia, used always when they gathered together to celebrate what they called the Eucharist. And this is why it's still used in more formal churches. It's a great word. We should get used to that word because it means that we're thankful. Isn't that amazing? To share in the body and blood of Jesus Christ sacramentally. Could there be anything we should be more thankful for? Because it is that blood and that body, that sacrifice of Calvary that saves us. Without it, we're lost. We better be thankful. It's the epitome of thanksgiving is to share, to be thankful that God has invited us into share in his mystery, into his mysterious life, the life of Christ, the life of God the Father, the life of the Holy Spirit. So uh, this idea of communion, if we go to the first Corinthian letter, Okay, in the first Corinthian letter in chapter 10. Okay, and I'll just turn there with you real quick uh, because these are some really powerful scriptures. First Corinthians chapter 10, we hear the Apostle Paul speaking about this very thought. And he says um, in verse 16, okay, in verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, is not the cup of blessing, now he's talking about Holy Communion, he's talking about the sacrament here, okay. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Now your version might say a participation in. Okay, guess what else your version might say? Does anybody have something else besides participation or sharing? 
Yours is sharing. Yours is communion. Okay. Hear that? Communion and sharing. And guess what the word is in the Greek? Koinonia. Koinonia. Okay. It's real. It's it's mystery. It's 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 a mystery revealed is what it is. Okay. Uh, it's a mystery revealed to us that we. And so he says, since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, when, that's verse 17. And when you hear that, I want you to not think about the loaf of bread or whatever it was, the, the, the uh, loaf or, uh, you know, maybe what we call pita, you know, that sort of thing, a bread. I don't want you to think of the one piece that's in the room that they tore off and shared around the room, okay? I want you to think oneness as in universal, okay? So whether we're sharing it right here in Wichita, Kansas, in our service, in that moment in time, or whether it's being shared in Africa, or China, or Russia, or wherever, one loaf, one bread, one body, okay? It's a mysterious participation in the oneness. For Christ was offered once and for all. This is something that people have people struggle with, especially Protestant uh, theologians struggled with in the early days of Protestant theology after the Reformation, but not so much in the uh, <clears throat> in the later, not so much today. Uh, they've kind of come around to understanding this idea of of uh, sharing in this oneness and this rea- the reality of it. Okay. It, it is very much a one-time event. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died once and for all. The sacrifice of Calvary was once on a day long ago on a hill far away, as the old song says. Okay? But also he died outside of time and space before the foundation of the world because God saw it all in his plan. Because Christ lives, he lived on this earth a human life, and he has always had a divine life. Okay, you with me? He is the God-man, and it's the God life, the divine life. In the divine life of God, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. The Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. So, this koinonia is real. This koinonia is special. This koinonia, and, and so this is why I try to tell you it's a continuing fellowship. It, it is ever continuing. okay? And it won't end in our death. The fellowship of, of the saints will not end in our death. It just grows and transforms. okay? And even our fellowship with those who have gone on before us does not end. It changes. They're no longer body to body, face to face, but we are still spirit to spirit. This is something we don't get either, but the early church did. This is the early church. That's why the creeds talk about we we believe, we acknowledge in the communion of the saints. It's not talking about a cult form of worship of these saints in heaven. It's not talking about that. 
Nobody, ancient Christians, nor Catholics today, nor anyone that I know, worships saints. No, no, no. We acknowledge, they acknowledge, everyone's acknowledged, always acknowledged, they're people, human beings, who died in this physical world, who were transformed into glory, into the presence of Christ, and they are still alive. Jesus himself said, I am not the God of the dead, but of the living. He said, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. There are dead, there are dead souls. The dead souls are not saints. The dead souls are in the dark part of Hades. The dead souls have left this physical world, and they are bound for hell. Oh, they're alive in a sense, in that they will. All life is eternal, but they're not alive in the sense of life in Christ anymore, because they left this world not in the faith and fellowship of Christ. There is a place called hell. Okay, It's not really a place. We just use that language. Okay, There is an existence that will one day be realized called hell. Okay, And there's one called heaven. And we have to choose. <laughs> Which side do we want to be on? Who do we want to follow? Okay, Because there are no second chances after the grave. No second chances. Book of Hebrews says it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Okay? But just because our loved ones are dead does not mean we can't or don't have fellowship with them. That's why, if you've ever wondered, why do early Christians and Catholics, we use Catholics a lot because there's more Catholics around than there are Orthodox Christians, but we could even use Episcopalians or uh, Lutherans or people that, that would say they, they uh, pray to a saint, okay? Why? What are they doing? Are they worshiping them? Not at all. But do you know how many Protestants thought that in the, in the reaction in the reaction to the Protestant Reformation, the idea of the communion of the saints was lost. The idea of communion and fellowship with the church that's triumphant in heaven with, with Christ and the church that's still struggling here on earth, it was lost because, admittedly, there was some medieval peculiarities and craziness going on with, you know, well, if you just give this money and do this or take this piece of whatever, you know, the, the miraculous powers of this saint's going to save you or whatever, heal you. You know what? The saint has zero power, except that it, he or she is united more closely in Christ than you and I are in this physical world. Okay, But we fast forward to the end of the story, look at the book of Revelation, look at what John sees, the, the John sees in the, in the worship of heaven, and he sees saints falling down before the throne of God with golden bowls full of incense, and it says these are the prayers of the saints. Now, I may look at you and I may say, Sylvia, would you pray for me? Please pray for me. I need your prayers. That's no different than saying, St. Patrick, St. Mary, St. Thomas, whoever. St. My dad's name was Charles. St. Charles. Okay? St. Charlie. St. George. Whoever. Pick a patron. Maybe it's your loved one. Okay? What? The patron saints are ones that the churches through the ages have recognized in, 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 as, as being with Jesus. Now, no one can def 
define exactly what that means or looks like because the life of God is a mystery in some point, you know, beyond this, beyond this physical veil. But what I want you to hear is communion, continuing fellowship, the spirit of continuing fellowship. One of the, I really believe this is important for us to, to recapture in, because uh, I, I, I have many friends, that was, we have this discussion theologically. I meet with a group of, <laughs> I meet with a group, an ecumenical group of ministers and laymen now. The group's grown into laymen too. Um, Catholics, Mennonites, you know, Wesleyans, uh, Baptists, there's several different things, even one who's agnostic. Um, and we talk every once a month. We talk. We just met this yesterday, Monday was our monthly, it's the second Monday of every month. And, and this is something that comes up from time to time in our theological discussions, is that they just think, well, I have no, I'm not going to pray to no saint, I don't have any reason to pray to a saint. That's not, you know, that's not, that's not right, that's not good. Well, no, it's not right if you're worshiping them, or if you believe they have some power to, to save you or heal you. No, but if you understand they're in the bosom of Abraham, they're in, they're in paradise, they're in, they're they're nestled with on high with Christ, and they want to intercede for us. Okay, that's somebody said. Well, I wonder what there is to do in heaven. You know, people want to say, well, you play golf in heaven on the most beautiful golf course there ever was, or whatever. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, those are all just human ways of trying to project what things will be like. You're not sitting around on a cloud floating anywhere either, playing a harp. We don't know what heaven's going to look like in 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 reality, but what we do know is that, as the Apostle Paul says, to leave this present physical existence is to be with Christ. And yet we Go know ahead. that on the Mount of Transfiguration, they recognized Moses and Elijah as humans. Absolutely. They were recognizable and they were conversing with Jesus. Yes. They were having koinonia with Jesus. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want their prayers? Why wouldn't we? You know, it just, it, it boggles my mind. I want everybody's prayers. I don't know about you, but I need everyone's prayers, okay? So the book of Hebrews writes, he said, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, therefore, he talks about all the faithful who've gone on before us in chapter 10. And he comes to 11, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race, okay? What are witnesses at a race doing? Cheering you on. Cheering you on, absolutely. So the saints are the witnesses, the great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. They're part of this continual fellowship. Okay, I know this is radical to maybe to some of you, and if it sounds radical and you don't want to agree with me, you don't ever want to pray to a saint, you want to ask, you don't want to... Don't. That's fine. I'm not telling you you have to. I'm just saying don't reject things before you understand them or try to understand them, okay? Um, so... Um, one more scripture in this section. John chapter 14. Uh, John chapter 14. Jesus says this about this concept of continuing fellowship. And I thought I had it. Just lost it. Sorry, I'll be get there in just a second. John chapter 14. Okay. In verse, uh, in verse uh, 15... Jesus says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another helper is a very important phrase because Jesus has just told them he's going away. Okay, Jesus has said, let not your hearts be troubled. You know, I'm going to go away, but I will come again for you someday in the beginning of the chapter. Okay, but he says right here, I will, if you, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, or a, or a, a counselor, or a, the, the idea there is the, the paraclete. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. My Bible says comforter. The comforter, that's another word. The Greek word here is parakletos. Okay, means the comforter, the advocate, somebody who brings aid to you, who intercedes for you. Okay, um, And I will ask the Father, verse 16, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Not just till you die, but forever. Okay, That is, verse 17, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. This was before the cross. This was before Pentecost. And so he was with them. But Jesus wanted them to understand he will be in you after Pentecost. Which is us today. He, If we believe and if we have opened our hearts, and if we have consecrated our lives, he's in us. And this whole teaching about the spirit-filled life and the doctrine of entire sanctification is to know that he can be completely in us. He can fill every room, every aspect of our life, every fiber of our being. Powerful stuff. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? People say in our world today, well, I, I, I can't I can't quit sinning. I can't give up these bad thoughts. I can't. No, you can't. That's right. I can't kick this addiction. I can't kick this habit. I can't stop. No, you can't. But God can. God in you can help you overcome. There's nothing that God cannot do. Okay? Jesus is why he stresses several times. All things are possible. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Okay? So... Powerful thought there. Well, we've been talking about the spirit of continuing fellowship. Now I want to move to our last one. The spirit of fruitfulness. The spirit of fruitfulness. Let's look at a few passages of scripture together. There are, when we hear about the spirit of fruitfulness, we can't talk about this, the, the idea of fruitfulness without talking about the idea of spiritual gifts. Okay, now when we talk, let me let me remind you of this. In Galatians chapter five, verses twenty-two and twenty-three, the apostle Paul tells us that there is such a thing called the fruit of the spirit. Okay, now I want to pay important uh, attention to the to the, uh, the the grammar here. Okay. I guess that's the word for it, grammar. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. 
So we can't talk about the fruit of the, the fruitfulness of our lives in, in, with, in the Holy Spirit without talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Because in verse 22, we hear these words. The Apostle Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no, no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus, okay, those who belong to him, that's talking about this living in faith. You've given your heart to Christ. Okay. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with all of its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, then let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, notice in verse 22 that Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's not fruits of the Spirit. Why is it so important that the fruit of the Spirit be singular? Because it's all in one. Because you can't, God, God or the Holy Spirit cannot be divided. Okay? One in essence, three in persons, one in essence, and undivided. Okay? And the fruit is undivided. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit is all of these things. Okay, you don't just have one, you have them all. Yeah, you, you see what I'm saying? You can say, well, I'm not too self-controlled sometimes. I'm not always so gentle. I'm not, well, I didn't say we had them all perfectly. But we're working on it, okay? This is why there's continuing fellowship. This is why it's not, as I said in the beginning of class tonight, it's not static it's not a static relationship. It's an ever-transforming, ever-growing relationship. Fruit of the Spirit. So we talk about the fruit of the Spirit as one, because the Spirit is one. But we talk about the gifts of the Spirit as many. God gives many gifts. There are four passages in the New Testament that speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, four passages. The book of Romans has a passage in chapter 12 that talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Um, it, it talks about, and we don't have to go back and look at that one, but I'm giving it to you in chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, if you want to write it down and look it up. It is, it, there Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit being different, okay? Um, that they're all different. Now, Ephesians chapter 4 is another place where the gifts of the spirits are mentioned, and the gifts of the spirit are used in Ephesians 4. It says that one of the reasons God gives them is for equipping. Okay, equipping the saints for work. What does he mean? The gifts of the spirit are given so that we can do the work of God in this world. Okay, here's something really important to remember. The gifts of the spirit are given to us, but they are not ours. They're, 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 they're on loan from God, okay? God gives them to us, but they are not ours. They are his and his spirit within us, not our spirit doing these mighty, miraculous, good things. Um, so the other passages, the other two passages, we, as we know, is uh, 1 Corinthians 12, where we're about to read from, and then 1 Peter First Peter chapter four. These are the four places in the New Testament. First Peter one. First Peter chapter four, verses ten through eleven. 
So we started with Romans 12, 3 through 8, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. 1 Corinthians 12, several places in that chapter, and then 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. It is in 1 Peter chapter 4 that we hear the words that God has given each of us a special gift. We know that God gives gifts to everyone, but everyone does not have the same gifts. To some, he gives more than one gift, but everyone has at least one gift. Okay? We may not know what our gift is. It may take us time to discern what it is. But I guarantee you, every one of us is gifted by God for something. And part of our journey in this life of faith is to discover what that gift is. There's wonderful, very learned people have created spiritual gift inventories. They're like lists of questions that depending on how you answer them with your honest reactions, it'll discern. Well, you know, I think your gift is one of mercy or your gift is one of preaching or your gift is one of giving or whatever. There's so many different gifts. The gifts of God are, you know, there's different lists out there. Some people have numbered them somewhere in the 20s, 21 on this list, 24 on this list. Each list kind of varies. Some of them, one gift might be called two different things. But I don't want, there is not a specific number hidden somewhere in a code in the Bible. Okay, God cannot, God's gifts I don't think can be numbered in that sense. Um, But we want to know what those gifts are. One fruit, many gifts. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I had it here, but I went off of it, so I'm going to go back to it. Here we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's just start at the beginning of the chapter. It really starts with verse 4, but I think I want you to hear the opening words too. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, okay, that means they used to be non-believers, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Why is Paul pointing that out to this church in Corinth? Because they've had a problem. One of, They've had many problems, but one of their problems is a kind of uh, returning to their pagan ways. Okay, yeah, idols and things, and constantly being corrupted. Okay, they're weak in their faith. He calls them in this letter, he calls them spiritual babies. <laughs> he says, you're spiritual babies at another point in this, in this letter. But um, he says, you need to know that no one is speaking by the Spirit. So somebody must have been saying Jesus is accursed. He wouldn't bring it up if it wasn't being said, okay? And he's like, no, 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 no. No one who's really got the Spirit of God could say those words. But equally true, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. The fact that I stand here to teach with you in this class tonight, or that I ever stand to preach the gospel as a preacher, and I say Jesus is Lord. Now, I'm not talking about the mouthing the words. Okay, I'm talking about meaning what I say. I can't say that. It's the gift of God that says that in me. 
It's the gift of God that has called me to recognize him as Lord and to surrender my will to his. Because ultimately, that's what we're talking about in the spirit-filled life. We're not talking about just a belief. We're talking about a surrender. We talked about that in week three or four. I can't remember which. Surrender our will to his. Surrender to the spirit of God. Jesus is Lord. Now, verse 4, where we want to pick up. Now, there are a variety of gifts, the Apostle Paul says. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Okay, only one Spirit. Remember always, only one Spirit, but many gifts. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Again, we're back to one there. There are varieties of effects, effects, but the same God who works in all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What is the Apostle Paul saying to us? He's saying to each one, every believer, God has given a manifestation of his Spirit. The gifts that we have, the gifts that he gives us, okay, those gifts are considered a manifestation of his spirit. If when Peter, James, and John, or when they were walking up to the to the steps of the temple uh, after Pentecost, and they saw the beggar there, the lame beggar, begging, and they'd seen him many times in their lives, but this time they stopped and they said, this is chapter 4, book of Acts, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand and walk. Okay? be healed. That was a man, that wasn't them healing him. That was the Holy Spirit being manifested in and through them. Get the difference? Always remember that. The most greatest, most eloquent preacher in the world, most powerful preacher in the world is, is nothing without the Holy Spirit of God. This is why Paul goes on after this in chapter 13 to say things like, if I'm just a if I don't have love, which love is God, love is from God, you know, God is love, then I'm just a noisy, clanging gong. That's that beautiful part of chapter 13. So it's very important, but to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the good of everyone. That's what the Holy Spirit gave us gifts for, to equip the saints, to bless others for the good of everyone in this world. That's why the gifts of the Spirit exist. He has shared himself with us. For the good of all. Wow. I mean, that is an incredible privilege. That the God of creation has shared his spirit with us. Not to possess selfishly. But to share with the world. Getting the drift of it? Now. Ah, let me, I'm going to sit down for a minute. It's been a long day. <laughs> Um, so I call, I'm telling you that we're talking about the spirit of fruitfulness. So what does all these gifts have to do with fruitfulness? The word fruitfulness, okay, when we talk about the fruits of the spirit, if we look at um, the word, I, I want to look at verse, before I leave chapter 12, hold the, hold the phone right there, okay, the end of the chapter 2. Verse 28. And God has appointed in the church, no, no, I'm sorry, wrong chapter, 12. Is right, okay, yeah, there we go. 
And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not miracle workers, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. Two things we learn from that. Probably a lot more than two, but two I want to point out. Everyone doesn't have the same gift, including the gift of tongues. Don't ever let anyone tell you that is the gift. You must have the gift of tongues or you really weren't filled with the Spirit. It's a gift, not the gift. And earnestly desire. There's nothing wrong with earnestly desiring more gifts or greater gifts, as the Apostle Paul says. Okay, Because there is an excellent way that is just, you, you, God will just keep blessing you when he knows you can hold more. When your vessel's empty, okay? Now, said all that to say the Greek word for fruitfulness is, let me sound this out for you, karpophoro, karpophoreo, karpophoreo. It's the Greek word for fruitfulness. Now, K-A-R, this is in English spelling, K-A-R-P-O-F-E-R-E-H-O, karpophoreo, okay? And that means, that word is used. You know, you've heard Jesus in the Gospels many times. Jesus says that you go and bear fruit. In the Gospel, remember the, the whole long passage where he talks about in John chapter 15, uh, that you bear much fruit. This is how the world will know you're my disciples. All, that, all those, if you were reading the Greek, every time this idea of bearing fruit is used, it's that word. Every time. Okay? So, Get into our minds that God has called us to bear fruit. And it is by bearing fruit that we show ourselves to be his disciples. Okay? You show me a life with no fruit, and I'll show you probably a life that's, I hate to say not saved, but I want to say at least not sanctified. Okay? They're not living out their potential, okay? It is by our love, Christ says, that the world will know us. Well, what is that love? How is that love demonstrated? By fruit, by bearing fruit. But what, think of good works. Why does, the, why does the, the scriptures call us to good works? That Paul says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, he says that were prepared before us before the foundation of the world. God did prepare good works for each of us to do. Well, those good works are the bearing of fruit. They're not just doing an act of kindness just to earn a star or a redemption or salvation. No, 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 no. They're the way of life, the life of Christ being lived out in us, the love and the action. Okay. John says in his first epistle, love cannot be just in words only. It must be in actions and deeds. Okay. It's good works. Those are fruits. Um, Colossians, a very important passage here, the book of Colossians. Turn over to there, chapter 1. Um, right after the book of Philippians. Okay, chapter 1. And I'm going to read to you verse 9 and 10. This is Paul praying 
for the believers in the church at Colossae. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We talked about wisdom and understanding, wisdom and revelation last uh, time when we were together uh, in that spirit of revelation or the two times ago. And here Paul's talking about that very thing again, that we his, his prayer, he's not ceased praying for them since he first heard about their belief that they be filled with all, not some, but all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit, there's that word. And it's the same word. Carpophoreo, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience and joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I could just keep going. When you read the book of Colossians, there is no good place to stop. It just flows. I mean, the Apostle Paul is really preaching in that book with just this beautiful, it just keeps flowing. Um, Why did I bring that verse up? Because of this idea that fruitfulness, the spirit of fruitfulness is to be ever, ever increasing also. Okay? The spirit of Continuing fellowship is ever-increasing. The spirit of our fruitfulness. You can never bear too much fruit. Okay? And when a tree stops bearing fruit, what do we do with that tree? Chop it down down and plant one that will bear fruit. (laughs) We don't want to stop bearing fruit. We don't want to do that. The work, I want to end tonight where we began. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not a static work. The relationship that we have with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not a static relationship. It is ever-increasing, ever-growing, until, as Paul says, we are filled up with all the fullness of God. I don't know when that will be. Must be in heaven, and and I and I, I, I'm not even sure that's possible because God is infinite and we're not. And even in heaven, we're not full. I I think honestly, here's what I really believe, and the early church believed this too. You could read it in the writings of the early church fathers. Even in heaven, we never stop growing. We never stop learning. Even in heaven, growth is forever. Um, beautiful. So so never stop in this life. Never stop learning, never stop growing, never stop working the works of our Father. Okay? The good works of our Father. Well, um, that takes us through the fivefold life guided by the Holy Spirit. The life we all want to live. This has been a seven week class. I don't know what to do next week because I've probably filled up this class. Well, uh, 
So if you want to come back next week, we'll start something new. I would love to start something new. Uh, as you can tell, if you know me well, I don't plan way ahead. Uh, um, I let the spirit move me of what to start teaching and what to do. Um, but seven weeks just seemed right for this class. Um, we've talked about this, the, the, the life we know as in our church as the entirely sanctified life. Life filled by the Holy Spirit. It is a moment in time and it is a process from now through eternity. Okay? Moment in time. There is a crisis moment. And if you are thinking to yourself, when was my moment? When was my moment? Well, you know what? I can't answer that for you. But there's no time like the present to bow your head and say, let me, let me have that moment now. Let me be filled, continuously filled. Don't doubt anything God's ever done for you. Don't try and think back, well, I can I tell you when that moment was. I was sanctified on this date because, you know, I'm going to, I was petrified on that day too. Don't think that way. doesn't matter. I, I actually can look back. I'm blessed to be able to look back on a time when I learned this doctrine. I heard it for the first time, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I yielded my heart, and I believe Christ came in in the fullness of his spirit. Problem was, I wasn't smart enough to know how to use it all. And I fell down many times. Okay, I was not petrified. <laughs> I learned the hard way. I was not petrified. But I keep going. Amen. Hallelujah. Been filled many times. Yes, uh, Gloria. Next Sunday, we're going to, uh, we're going to learn. Um, I got the scripture here. You shall not oppress a resident alien. You know the heart of an alien, for you were aliens in the land. Mm. Exodus 23, verse 9. Amen. We were all aliens at one point. And, and, uh, and also uh, that uh, when, if uh, a fruit falls down from a tree, do not go, uh, go back there and pick it up, mm-hmm. but leave it for the poor. That's right. Mm-hmm. Beautiful works of God. Beautiful works we're called to. And I love that thought about being aliens. You know, once we were strangers, the scripture tells us, yeah. foreign to God, but... <laughs> Now we know him. So let's close with prayer. Let's, would, you do, would you do that? Would you just close your eyes and let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we bow our heads. We bow our hearts. We ask for a special filling of your Holy Spirit, even in this very moment, not because we're trying to be worked up over some emotion, but just because we've learned that you are continuously present, wanting to fill us evermore. And so would you, as we rise from this class tonight, would you, and and with all we've learned and all we've tried to learn, forgive, Father, all my failures in teaching the class, but at the same time use the words, the things, that the thoughts that your Holy Spirit has brought into the hearts and minds of those believers here and those that will ever hear it on the internet in the podcast. Would you bless them? Would you sanctify every soul according to your good name, your holy name, your power, your worth of goodness. 
So, thank you, Father, for this time together. Bless us now as we close. Be with us in a continual fellowship with you, with one another, with the saints in heaven, and the saints on earth. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Glory to you now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.